Good afternoon, Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, and welcome to our final for this series, uh, Faith Lab podcast episode. Um, our church has been working through a sermon series called Letters to a New Church, where we have been taking a deeper look into the writings and into the life of Paul and trying to see how we can read the letters that Paul wrote to, to new Christians, how we can read that into our community and into our world in a particular context of coming back together. Um, this week, um, we're gonna dive into Colossians chapter three. I'm here with our head of staff, Lori Rabel. And so Lori's gonna tell us a little bit about Colossians and a little context before we read our scripture. Thanks, Margo. Um, the book of Colossians, it's small. Um, lots of times folks aren't really sure where and how Colossians came to be. But um, in short, Colossians was written along with another letter, uh, Philemon, um, probably from Paul in prison um, during a time early in his imprisonment. And as the story goes, um, the early church of Colossia was um, formed not by Paul, but by someone who had heard the gospel uh, through Paul. So clearly the church is spreading throughout the Roman empire and this place Colossia, which I keep mispronouncing is on the west coast of Turkey. If you can imagine where that is and it's about two or three days inland um, from, from the coast. It's not a large town, but it is a town with a lot of religious and cultural diversity. So before we really get into the themes and what we might talk about today, um, let's just hear this selection. I've chosen the, the third chapter of Colossians, uh, which gets to the heart of the matter of Paul's theology and, and what he was really hoping and how he was guiding this group of Christians. So listen up. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. 
Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God's holy word. Amen. It's really poetic and lyrical, really, if you allow yourself to read the whole thing. And it's also language in the Reformed tradition or any church tradition that I think we're really familiar with. Before we get into some of the themes, if you can imagine what the town would have been like, this is, you know, I don't know, 15 or 20 uh, newly converted Christian people who are surrounded by a lot of cultural traditions and a lot of um, a lot of pressure, cultural pressure um, to worship many different gods. Uh, I listened to a short teaching by N.T. Wright, and he explained the town as if, uh, or all towns like this, they would have had local gods and deities that any citizen would have been uh, expected to honor and worship and to pay tribute to. So if a bad thing happened in a town or in a community, and the folks in that town weren't satisfying the local gods or the local deities, well, then that's on them, right? And so for early Christians to claim Jesus is the Lord, the one and only Lord, the only deity, and to maybe not show up to these cultural celebrations or, or cultural um, events to honor local gods, that would have been actually a really dangerous, provocative thing for them to do. So there's that dynamic. And then there's the dynamic of like the new Lord, Caesar, you know, who is jangling around in their pockets and there are statues everywhere. And that word Lord is the word that would have been used for Caesar. And then there's also evidence that there's a local synagogue in town. And so there are all of these confusing narratives and um issues around how the early Christians are going to navigate life in the town with their neighbors and their siblings who aren't Christians without being influenced away from what they're trying to proclaim, which is Jesus is Lord. Who is, who is Jesus? Jesus is the one, <laughs> the one God. We don't need any others. Like we don't need Hellenistic philosophy. We don't need local gods. We don't need Caesar, which would have put them at risk. So that's the context. Um, in which this this scripture is spoken, which, which makes it it makes it even more radical. Absolutely, I think I love hearing that because um, especially this piece that you kind of read at the end, where we where we talk about what we clothe ourselves with, that that's probably the piece of this text that people have really heard before. Mm -hmm. um, and so as you, as you read this text and the things that, that Paul is saying um, to get rid of anger, wrath, malice, abuse, and to clothe ourselves with, with love and kindness and humility, um, it, it now makes it um, almost funny to think what the people reading this must, must have felt when they were trying to navigate these relationships with other people. I mean, isn't that what we feel? Whatever they felt in that, yeah. <laughs> isn't that what we feel? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, 
I mean, like, maybe it's at the end, it said in the next five minutes, yeah. you know, like <laughs> strip off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language for the next five minutes. Right. Like, you know, so, <laughs> it's not intended to be prescriptive in a way. I think that's where we get into dangerous territory when it comes to theology. Um, this, although it says like the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient, um, I don't think that this is a text that if you are to understand all of Paul's theology uh, as um, adds in its entirety, then you can't read part of this scripture and assume that it, when we misstep, which we do naturally, um, th then we're going to hell in a handbasket. You know, that's not what this is about at all. It's saying that if you think about what baptism is, when, when, when we are marked and claimed by God, uh, when we are washed in God's love and grace, um, then we die with Christ and we rise with Christ, which is what is said here at the beginning of this text. That when, when we die then, then uh, with Christ, then all of those things that weigh us down um, die in that death too. They're washed away uh, in, in that salvation that we, that we claim, you know, we claim and we we proclaim in baptism so that we might rise and be free and be liberated uh, in a way that we had not experienced before. Yeah, it's, it's freedom. And it kind of, you know, the scripture tags on perfectly to last week, to those of you who are weekly listeners or were in worship last week, Ashley and I talked about freedom in the podcast and, and she preached about freedom. And, and I think that that's also what we're seeing here. Well, what do you think about the idea of freedom really being found uh, in unity, like with other people together? Ooh, I wish. That's hard. Yeah. And that it also says, like, the peace of Christ rules in your hearts um, as you were called to be one body. You know, the idea that especially in the last 14 or 15 months where we've been so isolated, I do think uh, at large, our spiritual lives have become more insular and insulated and individualistic. Yeah. Uh, by, just by design of a pandemic. And so we're definitely out of practice in terms of finding peace together you know, my daughter is an eighth grader. She just graduated uh, yesterday from eighth grade, you know, and so we, we were in community for the first time with other families that we haven't seen in like 18 months. And we were all out, of, we were all out of practice. We had let go of many of those relationships that we had had before the pandemic. And so I do think it's a big ask. Uh, and yet Paul is saying, listen, there's, this is going to be a hard thing you're doing to say that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And um, the, the rigidity of the Jewish law is not. And the old gods and the old deities and, and you know, Hel Hellenistic philosophy, none of those things are, are going to replace or be uh, on par with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the only thing that we're going to talk about and do and pursue. Yeah. And I think that that unity looks a little bit different when we're not reading this in such a prescriptive way, right? Like, because we can't just like say, go be one, 
go be together immediately. And so I think when we think about the context of this text and how Paul's writing to these new Christians, um, I think a lot about um, what it means to be the church and like they're figuring that out too. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that kind of that piece of like just needing to be together, needing to figure out the unity and the hands and feet of the church is work that has to be done together. Yeah, it's not real complicated. I mean, it says teach, sing, <laughs> teach and sing. You know, that was that's kind of that was the prescriptive part of this whole text. Right. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom. And then sing in your heart, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, that that's not too tough, but you got to show up. Right. You know? And the other thing that I find interesting is oftentimes if you read one of these letters from Paul, he'll have a greeting or a blessing at the end that says grace and peace to you all. Grace, grace and peace to y'all, all y'all. You know, it's plural. You know, and grace is uh, God's reach down you know, to us, um, to the undeserved um, of humanity, which is all of us. And and peace is that state of rest and freedom that is a result of God's action of salvation and grace. And so, you know, typically Paul Paul ends ends and begins with something like that, uh, which also reminds us that all of this church stuff or community stuff that we do is, is really god god's doing uh all we need to do is show up uh and remember our position and our purpose right thanks lori i when i read this text i can't help but think we're at a very exciting time in our church right now where our doors are open and our people are coming back together and we're ordaining new elders and we're preparing for an exciting summer after a summer last year where a lot was canceled. And so when I hear this text and the ways that we talk about coming together to to be one, to be in unity, to just be present and acknowledge all that God's doing, I can't help but think about some of our trips. And I'm obviously in trip mode. And over this past weekend, we gathered together on the lawn for an ASP training Mm-hmm. Um, where we just kind of came together to talk about tool safety and the trip coming up ahead. <laughs> um, but more than anything, it was really to be together and to remind ourselves why we go on this trip that's been now such a tradition and so deeply ingredited into in, in, in embedded into who Selwyn is. And it was this really beautiful moment of people being together who haven't been together in a really long time. And Um, And we had a meeting also the following week and everyone just saying, real simple, why are we, why do we go on this trip? Appalachian service project. Yeah. Why do we we go on Appalachian service project? Why do we take a week out of our summer and go somewhere rural where it's really hot and work on roofs all day and do some of the hardest work, manual labor work that some of us do an entire year? Yeah. And hearing everyone's answer to that, it was um, it was really this like beautiful moment of like, um, we do this because because this is what we're called to do. This is this is this is at the root what our church believes we are, 
and what we believe we should be doing, especially in a year like we've just had where more people are displaced and needing housing. I think you just hit the nail on the head about this book, actually, you know, because if we can understand the why, why we do church, why we get our kids out of bed and wrangle clothes on them and get them here every week, or why we reach out to people we haven't talked to in 15 months, why be a member of a church or why why do anything that, you know, that seems as if it's a choice these days, um, Mm. as opposed to just a foregone conclusion, if we can get the why down then we will feel grateful for mm-hmm. our place in the world. And that's what this is about. Um, the why for Paul in, to the Colossians is Jesus. <laughs> the, the why itself is, is, is Jesus and the purpose. And um, the outpouring of that is gratitude. You know, so any, if you read the entire book, then there's a big theme of living with gratitude, um, you know, gratitude in your hearts, be thankful. And that's, that's why you're going to take a bunch of youth and, you know, adults to the middle of um, Appalachia, you know, and that's why we all are finding ways to challenge ourselves to do the work of getting out of our houses and back into places where we can be in community together. So that's a nice way to end. And I appreciate that example, Marco. Um, that's the question we should ask ourselves. You know, what are you, what are you doing to, to reconnect and recommit to a life in a community of faith? It could look differently for you than it does for me. Um, and it certainly will, but I think that's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Absolutely. I'm going to read a prayer um, that I recently shared with our session um, attributed to Patrick of Ireland, who was a fourth or fifth century um, saint in Ireland. May the strength of God pilot us. May the power of God preserve us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the host of God guard us against the snares of evil and the temptations of the world. May Christ be with us, Christ before us, Christ in us, Christ over us. May your salvation, O Lord, be always ours this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen. We'll see you all on Sunday. See you Sunday.